Hello, hello, welcome to episode two of the Heart Soul Mind Collective. Today's episode is titled The Orphan Spirit. And today we're going to be dissecting that, breaking it down, and we're going to be combating that with some verses. And what I want to first say before we get into this episode is when you hear the term orphan spirit or really any other term in in Christianity for that reason, don't think about the orphan spirit as like a afflicting, attacking demonic spirit or something of that nature. Think of this as a mentality. Think of the orphan mentality. And that's how we're going to be approaching this. And I think it helps with the mental approach to this. And it helps with fighting it and understanding that we have to, like we said in episode one, we have to combat these thoughts with verses and what God's truth and scripture says about this stuff. So with that said, I want to just kind of explain the structure of today's episode. I'm going to be breaking down this episode into two parts. All in one episode, this episode, but two parts. In part one, I'm just going to share a little bit about my testimony and my background, where I came from, and how this orphan spirit relates to me, and how I developed this mentality, and then I saw it come out in virtually everything, from my marriage to ministry to work to to every facet of my life. And then part two, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give some verses and scripture that we stand on to remind ourselves in the day-to-day, the pragmatic aspects of fighting this how do we fight this every day and what are the verses that we use to help ourselves when we feel that we're getting a little bit too far into that like the pool's a little bit strong and i'm going to outline what it looks like so i'm just going to kind of get right into it i noticed this issue i would say probably in my late 20s like this was very recently because I didn't know that I had this. I didn't know that I suffered from this. And there's nowhere in the Bible that necessarily breaks this down. Like here's a bold face just right in front of your definition. Like this is, this is what this is, but you can piece it together by the way that scripture defines what we are supposed to be as a son or daughter of God. And so my background was, was pieced together by seasons of, of loneliness and abandonment. And so my parents separated when I was really young. I think I was under a year. I could definitely be wrong on that, but I was, I was definitely not old enough to really process or know that it was happening. So we're talking about my first year. My parents separated. My dad had actually been in prison uh, twice in those first before while my mom was pregnant and then after I was born. And then my mom was a single mother for about almost four years before she met my stepdad. And she's been married to my stepdad ever since. So for about 26 years now. So I should also add into that, that my parents were not saved for the first, my mom was not saved for the first seven years of my life. And then when I was about seven or eight years old, she got saved and brought me and my stepdad to church. And then that's when him and I got saved and we got baptized and everything. And then the rest of my life was, was in church from there after about seven or eight years old. So in those seven years, seven, eight years before I got saved, before my parents got saved, it was very chaotic. It was very, very wild. Four of them was just me and my mom. And 
it was very, very intense at times. My mom was addicted to drugs. My stepdad was addicted to drugs. I did not know my father at all. I did not know my dad. He was in prison and I had visited him in prison one time and then I would see him in little tiny spurts here and there throughout my first like 10 years or so, but really just had no relationship whatsoever with him. And my mom worked a lot when she was a single mom and I would stay with my grandparents and my grandparents worked, but they would kind of rotate which one of them would be with me. And it was really hard for me because I would just always see other kids and family and their mom and their dad and field trips. They Their parents would come and be chaperones and I had to like beg an uncle to be my chaperone. You know, I didn't, I didn't have my parents there to do that. And so I really didn't have any sense of family. I didn't have any sense of belonging. It was very difficult for me to be in any kind of team environment, whether it was a friendship or it was a team or like group project at school, or even if it was something in the family when a group of family members would be together, if there was any sense or form of camaraderie, I just immediately felt uncomfortable. I I was just completely and totally uncomfortable. I just didn't know what it was about me. I remember in Talladega Nights when Ricky Bobby's stepdad comes back and they're at the restaurant, I think it's like Outback or something. And he's just like itching. You could see he's itching to get up and leave the family environment because they're all gelling and having a good time and laughing. And then he tells his son, he's like, I don't know, I don't have that bone in my body or something. Like I just can't be in an environment like that. I'm paraphrasing, of course, because no one would write a movie that boring, but saying things like that. But I had that. I absolutely had that. And it was very hard for me. I would feel this like antsiness, like I couldn't sit still if I was in a situation where there was connection and intimacy and like a group of people laughing and joking and like, Oh, we're the best of friends. I just couldn't function in that kind of environment. And that followed me into relationships that followed me into the military. I went, I went to the air force when I was 18. It followed me after that into college. I just didn't want to make friends with anybody. And then even after that groups of friends in church, I just could not function inside of groups. And I was highly competitive It was very, very competitive, very jealous, very possessive when I did have things. And I was very good at lying and stealing. Even from a young age, I could, I was very manipulative and charming and just, I could just have my way. I could even with, whether it was like teachers or it was an authority figure, I could absolutely just, it was so effortless for me to lie, to just come up with these lies on the spot. And so I was proud of a lot of these character traits because they helped me to survive and they helped protect me because to me, the world was a dangerous place. And in my eyes, you just could not trust anybody because I'm coming from this background where my parents are high in the bathroom doing drugs and I don't have any family around that I can really relate to or open up to or connect with. And then in the outside world, I remember at a young age, um, you know, I had friends that were, that were abused. I had friends that were either, um, going through abusive situations at home or they were molested. And I was terrified of the world because of that. I thought you can't trust anybody. I I just was so scared. So I, I felt that it was good that I had these qualities that I can duck and dodge all of life's 
crazy, crazy things that it can throw at you. And so I really, really only just got better at it as I got older and I got better at at isolating and I got better at being alone. And it was very easy for me to be alone. It was easy for me to be by myself. It was easy for me to be very just selfish minded. And as long as I was okay, then I was fine. And that was okay. But anything that required me to look out for somebody else, that was just too heavy. So I lived my life like that. And that's who I was for the first 20 something years. And I noticed that it, even as I started getting more involved in ministry and serving and and really rededicating my life when I was in my mid twenties, I noticed that I transferred all of that desire and need for accomplishment. I transferred it over to church because I, you know, I didn't know how to receive love from a parent, let alone a father. So I didn't know how to receive love from God. To me, it immediately was about, okay, how do I become good at this? What does that look like? And how do I become the best at this? How do I become so good at this that it fulfills that need and that desire for validation? Because I entered almost every relationship. You know what? Actually, I think I can confidently say I entered 100% of my relationships, whether it was at work or church or home or personal, romantic, whatever it was, I would almost always look at it as what can this person do for me? What can this person get me? How can they get me to where I want to be? How can I manipulate or control this relationship for me to get to where I need to be? And it was so natural. It was absolutely natural for me. And I felt like because I wasn't hurting the person or I wasn't malicious in my intent, that it was okay, that it was fine because, you know, hey, I might even throw them a bone and and give them a compliment or make them look good or something or anything, whatever it could be. And it was always self-centered because due to my upbringing and due to the life that I lived, I had to get these things for myself. I had to be in control I had to be the one that was making things happen, and I was the only person that I could rely on. So, you know, you fast forward to me rededicating my life to the Lord, being an adult, fully understanding these things and really self-reflecting and doing soul-searching and understanding this is absolutely not healthy. This is not okay. I have to be able to submit. I have to be able to commit. I have to be honest. I have to be a stand-up person. And so piece by piece, I would start to see these areas that I was struggling with. I started seeing consistencies in my relationship and the way I would act in my relationships. And then I started to see how I was in the workplace. And then I started to see how I was in church. And so for me, church was just like everything else. I had to perform. And, you know, like I was mentioning just now, I had to find out how do you get considered to be the best in this? And then that's what I need to focus on. So I realized very early on that people that could prophesy, people that could, you know, they could just give this great revelation to scripture. Like, like, and when I say revelation to scripture, I don't mean anything new. I mean that they can present it in a way that is so digestible. Like they, it's just like almost like groundbreaking. It's like, wow, we've never even seen it that way. You know, just, I loved that. I thought that was so amazing that somebody could teach to that level. And I just felt this pull and this draw to do that. And I felt it in worship too, because I'd played music my whole life. So I felt this like desire that, oh man, I really need to be like, I need to be strong with my like music and my musicianship and, 
and I need to get on the worship team and I just need to be the best guitarist on the worship team. And I, I did that all throughout my teen years and my early twenties. And it was just business as usual. I just went right back to it. And that's what I did in life. Everything needed to be an accomplishment. I, if I was doing music, I needed to get signed. I needed to get on a label. I needed to be touring. I needed to be the best at it for it to be worthwhile. And because of my drive and dedication, I was actually able to work for a lot of big artists. I was able to uh, get signed. I was able to work for just a number of different, even artists that I looked up to, and then even seeing my stuff on Netflix and TV. And and I was, it still wasn't enough. I needed more. I needed better. I needed more recognition. I needed more, I, I needed more credits. And then I started syncing and trying to sync on, on commercials and TV. And, and it was just, it, it was all for selfish reasons, but everything I did, I needed to be the best at it. And it's because I needed to answer this lack inside of my heart. And I needed to answer this validation that I didn't grow up receiving. You know, I didn't hear those words. I'm proud of you. I love you. You're amazing. I didn't have validation growing up. I didn't have what I saw other kids had in families where they were being fulfilled. They were being reminded and their identity was being built up in a healthy way in a healthy family. And I didn't have that. So I needed to go out and get it on my own. And when it came to dating, I had to just date the prettiest girls and I had to just totally get validation and I needed them to just need me. I needed to be needed. Not even, it wasn't even enough to just be in a relationship. I needed to know that that person would be willing to do anything for me as a way of knowing that they'll never leave or they'll never cheat on me or they'll never do something that hurts me, that makes me feel lost. And I was so wrong in that because... I always wanted to be the person that broke up with, with them. I wouldn't want to be broken up with. And I would be so just isolated and cold at times because I was just incapable of even knowing what real intimacy was, of actually surrendering yourself. So this was evident in every area of my life. And I don't want to paint the picture that I was this just evil person because there was so many moments and times of my life where I learned how to be compassionate and I stood up for people and I did the right thing. But there was at the foundation, just a selfishness where it was about me at the end of the day. And even if I did do something good, I would want to be noticed for it. I would want, I would want the accolades. I would want the pat on the back and okay, I did something good, but did people see it though? I need to make sure that people see it. And it was all about accomplishment. And I had no identity outside of my accomplishment. And I've recently learned a lot about the Enneagram I've read a lot about that. And it's very interesting. I've obviously, just like everybody else, I've read about a number of different personality types. And I am an Enneagram 3. If you couldn't tell from anything I just said right now that I'm a 3. But I can relate to a lot of that. And one of the biggest things about the Enneagram 3 is that you're completely just wrapped up in accomplishment. So much so that you lose who you are in your need for validation and the threes are the overachievers, are the ones that are always busy. They're workaholics. I was absolutely a workaholic at every job. I had to go above and beyond. I had to be the best at every job. And it's just this undying, relentless need for validation because you didn't know it. You didn't have it growing up. You didn't have somebody speaking to your identity. You didn't have somebody sitting there teaching you about healthy boundaries with your workflow teaching you about how to respect others and following your mission and your calling 
over accomplishment. And then when I hit about 25 is when everything kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. And I was getting prayed for. I actually was going through a really hard time. And I was getting prayed for. And the person praying for me at church was saying, they kind of just went off script a little bit. Like they were praying for me and they just said, God really, really wants you. God really wants to love you. And you're just holding back. You're, you're like keeping a wall up from God loving you. And I, and I just started crying. Like I just, it, it pierced through me. Like it just cut right through me. And I was like, man, how though? How do I do it? I want to do it so bad. I want to just let my walls down, but how do I do it? And I just felt like this breaking down because remember, like I said, I had this fear of even trusting people because as a child, I would see and hear these stories of, you know, friends and family getting hurt and abused. And so I didn't trust people and I didn't have anybody ever stick around in my life. I, I, I had to fend for myself. I had to start doing laundry early. I had to start learning how to cook early. I didn't know how to trust people. I didn't know how to let someone love me, let alone take care of me. I didn't know what that looked like. So when it comes into my 20s and this person's praying for me, telling me, yeah, God wants to love you. I just felt so confused because I didn't know how to make it happen. And for the first time in my life, I wasn't in control. And I felt like there was this dark room in my heart where I would go to hide and I wouldn't let anybody in there. And it was where I could go to be sad. It was where I could go to just be myself and be alone, what I had always wanted, because I thought that that was the safest place to be. And I felt God trying to bust down that door to get in there, to turn the light on. And I was so scared because that was my private place. You know, being alone, being isolated, being the only person I could trust, I felt like, can I trust God here? Who is God even? Can I trust any of this? He died on a cross for me. Why? What does he get out of the deal? And I didn't understand the Father's love. And it makes me think about, you know, now I have, I have a daughter of my own. And she doesn't need to do anything. She doesn't have to do anything for my love. I Sometimes... I just watch her. I, I like not in a creepy way, but like I just like stand there and I just I just marvel at her. And she doesn't pay rent. She doesn't do anything. She she doesn't give me anything. She doesn't do anything for me. She doesn't help me clean up me or her mom clean up the mess that she makes literally in every room she goes into. She'll leave a room and there's toys everywhere and there's like a bottle and there's like dog hair all over the place and like it's just chaos, but she doesn't give anything back to us. But my love for her is just, I can't even put it into words. I, I don't know how parents talk about their love for kids because once I became a father and I saw my daughter for the first time and then even in the first year, I can't explain that love. It is just so intense. It is, so, it pierces through my entire being. And I, I can understand God's love for me just a little bit more because I understand my daughter doesn't need to do anything for me to love her, for me to protect her, for me to provide for her, to for me to comfort her when she's taken some tumbles, she's taken some falls as, as any other toddler would. And, and when she cries, 
and it could be the it could be the tiniest thing like she's she's just about to walk right now and she'll like kind of slip up and fall and then she'll like look and see that we're watching and kind of cry a little bit and i just i will pick her up and and just comfort her and love her and i could just see her like just rest her head on my shoulder and that love reminds me of what i started to allow god to let in what I started to just kind of give him access to my heart, to that, that dark room that I was describing in my heart. And it was definitely not easy. And it definitely took time over years. And I think probably our entire life is an undoing where we allow God to get in and love us. And before I start getting into why it's so important for, for us to, to really find healing and freedom and liberation in this area, I just... I just really want to say that it helps us to love others when we've allowed God into our darkest, deepest depths of us. Because once he's in there and there's nothing there, I'm talking to the nothingness inside of us, where it's the depths of us, where there's nothing, there's no job, or there's no degree, or there's no nice car, or there's no looks or Instagram filters or anything. I'm talking to the nothingness, the raw you where there is nothing to the deep depths of you. When we allow God to that place, he starts to build up out of there and he builds outwards towards others. And we become just this like radiant light on a hill that just shines through in any way. And we become changed from the inside out. But it only happens as we become vulnerable and allow God into our heart to go outward and to do that and to do that to people. It, it's not like what I was doing where I was going into church and I was like, okay, yeah, how does this thing work? Okay. I pray for people and I could have the most passionate prayer and like, oh, we're going to do this. Okay. I'm going to serve and, and do this to the umpteenth degree. You know, I'm going to be there at two in the morning. If I have to, I'm going to show up at six. I'm going to, I'll do three days. I'll do four days. I was in like three different ministries and I just kept telling myself, there's a need. They need help. They need this. And I kept saying all these things and I kept taking on a million things because I just, I needed to prove to myself that I could earn God's love, that I could earn my pastor's love, that I could earn my pastor's approval, that I could earn that validation. And all I was doing is I was chasing after the love that my father didn't give me, my earthly father and my earthly mother that I felt like they didn't give me and my family. And I, and I, I was trying so hard to recreate a family. I was trying so hard to recreate accolades and accomplishments. And I was trying so hard to just make up for everything I felt that I didn't have because I wanted to belong. I wanted to feel loved and I wanted to feel significant. And we all have those three basic desires and how we go about attaining that. We do it in so many different ways. So I wanted to jump into, there's so many, I mean, there's just so many verses with combating this and i'm gonna i'm gonna say these slowly so you can write them down because if you feel that this is you today i want you to to be able to step away from this go find these verses really meditate on them like just read it and sit there and be still be silent and i know that if you're like me even that being still being silent is going to be hard because i even was discouraged from praying because i felt like i wasn't always hearing from god and I felt like prayer was a failure then at that point. I mean, it tr it trickled down to every aspect of my life. And I almost had like this ADD, right? And I'm not saying that it was officially diagnosed, but 
I'm just saying like where I, I couldn't pay attention. I needed to constantly be stimulated by something I constantly, I constantly needed something to validate me because I couldn't just sit there and be still. I couldn't be quiet. I couldn't let God just minister to me. And even if he spoke silence and the term speaking silence in prayer is powerful because sometimes the silence is more powerful than you actually getting a message or you actually getting spoken to. I couldn't do that because if I didn't have a notebook filled with names and prayer requests and like, and revelations to things. And like, again, when I use the term revelations, I mean like, just like a, Oh, that's what that means. Kind of a, a, Oh, you know, revealed knowledge to me. Like, of like, Oh, this is, I didn't know that that's what that means. It's not like it's secret or crazy or anything. It's just, I just, some verses, we don't know how to read them. And we need God to illuminate as we pray what the verse means. If I didn't get that, I just felt like, oh, this is just a waste. And I just constantly needed the approval. I constantly needed the accomplishment. So I'm going to read some of these verses. And they're really powerful to me. They're really, really powerful about our son. Or I'm going to say sonship, but I mean son and daughter. In Romans chapter 8, 15, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And then in the next verse, it says, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Galatians chapter four, six, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. First John chapter three, verse one. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Galatians 4, 7 Therefore you are not, no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. And there's so many other verses that, that talk about this, and our adoption, and sonship, and being a son and da- or a son or daughter, I'm sorry, but... I keep messing that one up. I I keep saying son and daughter or wherever you're, you know, wherever you're at listening to this, but, um, you know, it, it really is, it really is a knowledge thing because, and that's why I said, this isn't necessarily something that's afflicting us, but it's a mentality that we go outward from. And like I said, God coming into the depths of us then goes outward. My outward projection was all having lack inside was all, I needed to lie and steal because that's what an orphan does. You don't have somebody to take care of and provide for you. You have to go do it yourself. I didn't have somebody giving me the validation and the proper healthy uh, compliments and, and growing me in a healthy way. So when I would get complimented out in the world, whether it was like looks or like, or music or, or just anything I wanted to be, I needed to be the best at that. And I needed more and more when I was young. I, I remember from a really young age, a lot of my mom's friends and aunts and my grandmother's friends, they would always, Oh, he's so handsome, all these things as a kid. And I, that built into, well, then that's the best thing about me then. And I didn't know that you can be validated by just loving someone. You can find validation by just serving people. I thought that it had to be attention. I thought that you had to be complimented. So when I would go somewhere and I didn't hear that, I would feel like, what did I do wrong? Did I look bad today? Did I, did I not look right? And so I needed to always have a nice haircut 
and I always needed to have nice clothes and I needed to have the nicest things because that was going to get me that compliment that I desired because it made me feel significant because I didn't hear the other little kids getting those compliments and, and the other friends that I'm playing with, you know, growing up, they weren't getting those. So when I got something about like, oh, he's smart or he's this or he's that, I needed to be the best because I needed to hear those things because I wasn't hearing them at home. I didn't have anybody feeding into my identity in a healthy way. So when I did get something that made me feel unique, I would need to be that 24-7. And I, I just wouldn't feel right or complete if I didn't get that. And that carries into relationships and that carried into adulthood where if I'm in a relationship and you know you don't get the feedback you want from your partner, you just feel like, well, what am, what's wrong with me? Is there something wrong? Am I... Do it, you know, are they not as attracted to me? Or if it's work and you're not getting a compliment from your boss, it's like, did I even do right? Did I do, did, did I do it right? Like, am I wrong in this? Should I even be working here? And everything's fragile because there's no foundation. Everything is so easily blown away by the wind because there's no foundation when something tough comes to test who you are and to test that identity. And that's absolutely where I was at. And I just needed to earn everything. I was the one that needed to make everything happen. So when I come in and I start finding out, okay, I'm getting prayed for and I'm getting exposed, you know, what I was mentioning just now, I'm like, okay, God, how, how do I, how do I let you love me? And it started, it started a course of a couple years where I needed to rely on God, whether it was financially relationally, church, work, every single area of my life over the next five or six years, it all went away. And I lost the self-confidence in in the way I look. And I lost the self-confidence in work and making money. And everything that I had built my identity around, I lost it over time. And I needed to rely on God. And I needed to trust that, that God was going to take care of me, that God was going to fill these areas. And even like with my wife, for example, like I, I knew my wife had dated guys that were way more handsome before me. And I had to be okay with the fact that she just loves me for myself. I don't need to be some GQ front cover model. She just loves me for who I am. And with work, I, I didn't have a job. I could not find a job and I would just have to pray and just trust God. And God brought me my dream job, absolute dream job that I love. I love waking up, going there every day. Recently, I've been working from home with everything going on, but I still love signing on every day. It's absolutely amazing. But I would not have had this job on my own. I would not have been able to get this job on my own. It, it was entirely God from the direction to the strategy to like, I mean, even feeling the the leading of God to push me to apply specifically to this job for something I felt that I wasn't qualified for. And then I totally see why I'm at this company, but I was trying to make so many things work on my own. And when all of that got taken away, I had to truly trust that God was in control. And I think as an orphan and somebody who has the orphan spirit, it's very easy to feel fear come in when you're not in control. It's very easy to start having anxiety when you're in a situation that's outside of you. And you'll know this because anything that doesn't line up with your perfect ideal situation, 
if anything happens like that, you start to get anxiety, you start to get stress, you start to get up and take action and do things about it and freak out, then that's control. Because that means that you don't trust God. That means that you haven't had enough experiences in your life where God speaks to your fears and says, that's not going to happen. No, I'm going to come through and I'm going to make sure that X, Y, Z doesn't happen. And all you have is God's word. All you have is God giving you that message. And you have to hold on to it in the face of so many crazy situations that will probably feed your fear. That is having an orphan spirit. Because you don't know that a father can provide for you and take care of you because you never, you just had never experienced it. And that's where I was in my life where I had never experienced it. So I didn't trust God to do it. And it took crazy situations in my life for me to finally let go and let God do his thing and show me who he is. And I had to reverse and undo everything I had done And the way I did that was by trusting God and what he told me over every situation, every situation that gave me fear, every situation that worried me. Because even right now, anybody listening, you can think of five things that are worrying you right now. Even if your life's going great, even if you have a great job and you're making good money, there's still something that, that can worry you. Even if you're in a great relationship, even if your family's all healthy and everything's going good and there's something somewhere in your life that you could really worry about. And for some of us, it's way more intense than that. It's way crazier than that. So it's really a process of undoing because we have to undo our orphan mentality of needing to be in control, of needing to be the one that calls the shots. And "Ah, I don't know, like, I'm going to serve God. I'm going to pray. I'm going to go to the meetings. I'm going to go to all these things. I'm going to do all this stuff. But at the end of the day, I'm just, I'm going to trust me though. This is really about me. And that's not full surrender. That's not really fully surrendering and God will get to the heart of that. It will, you will, it will be exposed and it will come out. And like, even me, myself, I, I would leave ministries because I felt like they weren't going where I felt they should go. Like, because I was selfishly had this vision of what I thought it should be. If it didn't start like a month in, two months in, three months in, if it didn't look like it was going where I thought it would go, I would leave and I would abandon them. Because I'm like, I just don't have time for this. I need to be somewhere where I can be utilized, where my gifting can be utilized. And that is so selfish. And that was so wrong. And I did that with relationships, even my marriage. And, you know, any marriage, the first year or two is going to be hard because it's two people being shaped into one person. And with that becomes, with that comes rearranging, with that comes shaping, because your partner is a tool from God to shape you into who God always destined you to be. And that's a lot of growth for anybody married who's endured those first year, two years. You know, you know firsthand, it is hard. It is very, very hard. And a lot of people quit and a lot of people give up in those first two years because it's just so difficult. And I wanted to quit. I wanted to leave. I wanted to run away from it. And I was scared of the growth that was being required of me to be the best husband for my wife. And I didn't think I could do it. I didn't think I could become that guy. I didn't think I could let those old parts of me in my past die to where I could be the husband that she knew God promised for her. And she knew that I could be. And that's how I was in every area of my life because the orphan, the traits of the orphan is you don't know how to let God love you. You try to earn God's love and you don't 
know how to let people love you and be vulnerable, you have to earn and manipulate and control people's love. And you have to do it in a way that makes you safe and keeps you safe and keeps everyone else at arm's length distance. And the problem with that is that you never know real intimacy and you never know real surrender because you don't know how to let somebody in. And it's a hard thing because we can't live our life like that. We're not meant to live our life alone. We're meant to live our life in relationship. And you just don't have any security. It's all like performance and power and accomplishment. And you don't know what it's like to actually just let somebody else have the limelight. You don't know what it's like to not be jealous. And when we have that struggle to control our environment, we start to lose our ourself in this fake identity that we've built up. And so it's so crucial to allow God into that area. And for me, he was calling and it just happened at that age in my mid twenties where it started. And like I said, it's still something that I still go through to this day where I let God guide and direct me. But I know that it's possible because I've seen so much growth in my life where I can surrender, where I can let go, where I can be in a team, where I can feel connected. And marriage is one of the biggest ways that God taught me that is because I don't feel those feelings anymore with my wife. But it took a long time and there was a lot of work to be done. There was a lot of nights we stayed up late talking and a lot of nights just really just being broken and open and vulnerable. And and man, I feel for her because she didn't know she didn't know that she was signing up for that. And she just did such a great job. And you know, my wife has areas too that I've been able to help in because I noticed that the areas that I have to grow in, she's got those down lock. And then the areas that she struggles with, I'm like, oh, babe, that's, to me, I'm like, that's easy. Like, that's fine. Like, let me, let me show you what works for me. And we're looking at each other just in awe sometimes because she's looking at me like, wow, where did you get the confidence to like do that? How did you learn to be confident like that? I'm like, well, I'm a three and, you know, orphan spirit stuff, you know, but, you know, with me, I'm like, man, how do you commit like that? How do you just submit? How do you stay and make something work? Like, how do you just let yourself feel and give love? Like, I'm just like, man, you're like a superhero. And to her, it's just like, this is just how I lived my life. Like, this is this was just easy for me. And and you find that complimentary puzzle piece to, to complete it. And I believe that's what marriage is. And I'm going to bring her on for a series, and we're going to talk about how to develop that in your marriage. And I'm so excited to have her on for that. But the biggest takeaways I would like to give away from this episode today and just everything I've kind of shared is that you absolutely can overcome that. We're not meant to be orphans. And it's absolutely a product of the fall and is absolutely solved by the cross and is something that we can climb on top of the scripture that God has set out before us already to know that we are sons, we are daughters. We don't have to make things happen for ourselves. We don't have to earn love. You can just receive it. You can just receive God. You don't have to earn his love. And he's going to take you through so many things where he teaches you that and breaks those things down. So I would love to definitely do a second part to this episode. And if you need those verses, I'm going to put them in the description. But I would love to talk a little bit more about how I found my footing outside of this. But I know we're already getting up to almost an hour now. So I'm going to close out in prayer. And if you're listening right now, I just want you to know that this is something that God is going to absolutely use you to shine a light on others for. This is something that God is going to give you freedom in. You will find freedom in this. 
you will not need the, the, the validation or the accomplishment. And you won't even sculpt your dreams or your goals around accomplishment. You won't say, oh, I need it. I need to start three businesses by the time I'm 40. And I need to, I need to be a millionaire by the time I'm 35. And I need to like, I like, no, just be a son, be a daughter. Like you don't need to be your accomplishments. You just need to be a son. You just need to be a daughter and know your call and know your mission and know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. You didn't earn him doing that and you don't have to earn that now. So Lord, I just want to close out saying, Father, please, Lord, illuminate to each one of us the areas that we have not given to you. Illuminate to us the areas that we still feel that we need to be in control in. Lord, and set the orphan free. Lord, just like you brought the, you you brought the story, Lord, of of the prodigal son, and and him getting the ring and the robe and being accepted, Lord, show the orphans out there listening, Lord, like myself, that they can be received, they can be loved too, Lord, that they can be accepted, and that they don't need to earn it, Father. And I break that mentality, Father, in Jesus' name. I pray a freedom over everybody listening right now that is struggling with this in their life, and I thank you for that freedom. I worship you in advance. Father, for the future that is set in sonship, that is set as a son or a daughter of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys.